0: True Crime South Africa is published in conjunction with Tiso Blackstar Group, publishers of Times Live, Business Live, Sowetan Live and others. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Tiso Blackstar Group or its affiliates. Welcome to True Crime South Africa. I'm your host, Nicole Engelbrecht, and you're listening to our Spotlight Minnesota. This week's minisode is going to be a little bit different to what I usually do in our mini as recently an awesome true crime podcast called True Crime Lab, who you should definitely check out, by the way, came up with a fantastic campaign for the true crime podcast community. I'm sure that you've all been aware of the devastating fires in Australia that have been raging for the last few months. A huge amount of their wildlife has been wiped out and the animal survivors have had their habitats destroyed. 2,000 human homes have been destroyed and at least 25 people have been killed. 15 million acres of land has been affected by the fires. The Australian government has recently added an additional $1.4 billion towards recovery efforts. But far more than that is needed. So True Crime Lab came up with this idea, where true crime podcasts across the world would each cover a case from Australia and create awareness around the fire damage and give exposure to the avenues that can be used to channel donations to the victims. As luck would have it, one of our awesome Australian listeners, Ali Caps had told me about an Australian case a few months ago. And I wanted to cover it because it has a South African link, so this is the perfect opportunity. Thank you very much, Ali, for letting me know about today's case. And please know that all of us here in South Africa are thinking of you and your fellow Australians. I really hope that everything is brought under control soon and that your beautiful country's recovery is swift. Before I get into today's case, I'd like to give a shout out to our Patreon supporters. You guys are seriously blowing my mind on Patreon, and I really appreciate all of the support. Thank you to the following listeners for supporting the show on Patreon. Charmaine Smith, Toast, Angie Lowe, Marie, Adriana Coitking, King, Megan Repco, Megan Rainka, Janine Stein. Jen Carew, Nanette, Tanya Beneka, Machlatse Chirane, Rose Lee Smith, Bets van Jaarsveld, Rainer Fletch, Robin, Villa Nikak, Monica Haynes, Niels Kaleski, Tracy Lee Montgomery, Jackie Prozeski, Dixie E., Jacob Lipson, and Kim. <sighs> Thank you so much for your support. And remember that as soon as we get to 200 supporters, I'll start releasing Patreon-exclusive episodes every month. Patreons will also get early access to a whole bunch of awesome new content and merchandise that I'm going to be launching this year. As always, support of any kind is absolutely appreciated, whether it be financial, sharing the episodes, inviting your friends to listen, or interacting on social media. Every single bit helps. Now that we've got that covered, let's get into today's case. The following episode may contain sensitive material, including descriptions of violence, sexual assault, or graphic descriptions of injuries to victims. If you feel you may be triggered by such material, please consider this before accessing our content. To access trauma counseling or services, Please see the helpline information on our show notes. South Africans Luke and Rika Mombas moved their family to Australia in 2008 to escape violent crime in South Africa and seek a better quality of life for their children, Marcel and Alicia. Luke was able to secure a job as a mechanic at the local airport and Rika worked at Marcel School. The couple settled their family in the suburb of Hectorville, which falls within the boundaries of the city of Campbelltown in Adelaide. The Mombas were very happy in Hectorville. They joined the local church, and phone calls home to friends and family in SA were spent singing the praises of their new home. One South African family member would later say that Luke had regularly said that they didn't even need to lock their doors at night. Luke and Rika were described as a very close couple, and one friend would later say in that iconic Australian phrasing, Luke just loved the socks off Rika. Next door to the Mombas in Montacute Road, the Corbo family were having more of a rough time. 39-year-old Donata Corbo had gone through a difficult breakup in 2010, and he'd been committed to a mental health facility. Donato had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and now, having been released from the facility, was attempting to assimilate himself back into day-to-day life, and he'd moved in with his parents in Hectorville. His father, Giuseppe, and his mother were in their late 60s, and doing their best to help their son get back into a routine and live with his diagnosis. There's very little information available about a conflict regarding Donato Corbo's barking dog, but some sources I found said that the Mombas family may have complained that Corbo's staffy was barking, and the neighbours had words over the issue. Corbo's dog fell ill and passed away soon after the argument and Donato Corbo was convinced that the Mombas family had something to do with his death. As April 2011 rolled around, the Mombas home was abuzz with excitement, as Rika's father, Corbo and her stepmother, Aniki, were visiting from South Africa. The couple had been visiting for a few weeks, and were set to return to South Africa on the 1st of May. On Friday, the 29th of April, the Mombas were getting ready for the weekend. The Mombas' daughter, Alicia, was sleeping at a friend's house that night, and their son, 14-year-old Marcel, had invited a friend to sleep over at their house for the night. The family was settled into their beds and had no idea that next door. Their neighbour was on the brink of snapping. Donato Corbo's father, Giuseppe, had gone hunting for the weekend. His elderly mother was home sleeping, but Donato was pacing through the house. It is alleged that Donato had developed a drug habit and that he used drugs that night. Whether he was taking the medication he needed to help cope with his paranoid schizophrenia is unknown. Unfortunately, Medications for schizophrenia are known to make sufferers extremely drowsy, and it's not uncommon for sufferers to stop taking the meds for this reason. It's also quite common to find that after a period of taking their medication, a schizophrenia sufferer will start to feel more in control, and will mistakenly think that they no longer need their meds and stop taking them. Donato would later say that Satan had spoken to him and made him do what he did next. I can picture him pacing the house, disorientated and in an altered state, thinking about his failed relationship, the difficulties in his life, his beloved dog's passing, and then the arguments he had with the Mombas family next door. Somewhere in Donato's altered thinking, the Mombas became the enemy. He quickly located the keys to his father's gun cabinet and unlocked it. His father had been a licensed gun owner for 50 years, and according to legal requirements, he stored his guns and ammunition in separate locked cabinets. Donato retrieved a shotgun and then went for its ammunition. He loaded the gun and unlocked the front door. Luke Mombas was in a deep sleep at 2.30am when he heard banging on his front door. He went to see what was happening and as he approached the door, Donata Corbo fired two shots at him. Severely injured, Luke stumbled back to his bedroom to tell his wife to get the other family members together and hide. Having delivered his warning, he collapsed in their bedroom, his injuries too severe for him to walk another step. Rika Mombas listened in terror as she heard Donata Corbo enter their home. He walked into their daughter Alicia's bedroom, which was occupied that night by Rika's parents, and fired several shots into the elderly couple, killing them instantly. He then walked into 14-year-old Marcel's bedroom and shot him twice. While Corbeau was moving from room to room, Ricard managed to make a call to police. Officers Travis Ems and Brett Gibbons responded to the call within two minutes. Unfortunately, they'd only been advised that shots had been fired and not that the shooter was still on the scene. As the pair pulled up to the Mombas' home and got out of their vehicle, all hell broke loose. Donato Corbo exited the house and fired at the police officers, hitting Brett Gibbons in the face. He then fled back to his own house, where he barricaded himself. Neighbours would later describe seeing Travis M's pick up his wounded partner and carry him over his shoulder into the house seeking cover. At some stage, he'd slipped in his partner's blood and badly injured his knee. Travis M's entered a bedroom in the Momba's home and locked the door behind him, barricading himself and his partner while he waited for help to arrive. Unfortunately, Travis had, without knowing it, chosen the bedroom that Corbus and Aniki had been sleeping in as the standoff ensued between Corbo and the police officers in the streets outside, Travis Ems would be closed up in a room with two deceased bodies and his severely injured, unconscious partner for several hours. There's conflicting information about the exact events around this time, but it is known that Rika had managed to escape the house with her son's 11-year-old friend who'd been sleeping over that night. Donato Corbo would hold police at bay for the next eight hours. It's unknown exactly when the police were able to safely extract Travis M's, his wounded partner Brett Gibbons, and 14-year-old Marcel, but both Brett and Marcel were rushed to hospital for life-saving surgery and remained in critical condition for many days. Donato eventually agreed to release his elderly mother, who'd been trapped in their house with him, and after almost an entire day of terror in Hectorville, police were able to extract him from the house and arrest him. 41-year-old Luke Mombas died of his gunshot wounds, as did his parents-in-law, 64-year-old Corbus Snaman and 65-year-old Aniki Snaman. Donata Corbo was charged with three counts of murder and two counts of attempted murder. When he appeared in court on the 2nd of May, he pleaded not guilty to these charges due to mental incapacity. After a year of mental health assessments and testimony by mental health practitioners, Judge Michael David found that Donato Corbo could not be found guilty of murder due to mental incompetence. He was, however, remanded to a mental health facility for the rest of his life. Four psychiatrists had the answer. As Corbo gunned down Mrs. Momba's husband, Luke, and her parents, Kobus and Enetchi Snyman, he was responding to a voice in his head, saying, do this, it's the devil. It was like these people had to be shot for some reason. The judge had determined that there was no real possibility that Corbo could be fully rehabilitated, and that he should remain under the care of the state, and never be released back into society. Ricca would later say that she felt that Donato would not have committed the acts if he hadn't been under the influence of drugs, and that his mental incapacity should not have been given so much weight as it was, in fact, his personal choice to use drugs, knowing that it would aggravate his mental illness. The bodies of Corbus and Aniki Snaman were transported back to South Africa, and they were laid to rest in their hometown of Pretoria. Luke Mobbus was laid to rest in Adelaide, and Officer Travis Ems attended the funeral on crutches to pay his respects. Marcel Wombas, after many weeks in hospital and months of rehabilitation, made a full physical recovery. Brett Gibbons, the police officer who was shot in the face, had to undergo several reconstructive surgeries and did eventually return to the police force. Travis M. struggled to move past the experience of that horrific night. After Corbo was sentenced, he said that he still had flashbacks from the night, and he felt as though his soul had never left the house. Travis Ms did not return to the police force. Both officers were praised by their superiors and by Rika Mombas for their bravery, with Rika saying that she felt that their quick response was the reason that she and her son were alive. I would especially like to thank the first two police officers who arrived at the scene. They were both injured in the line of duty, but I believe their rapid response saved lives. The first officers on the scene still bear the scars of their terrifying encounter with a madman. Uh, Without any concern for their own safety, uh, went into Uh, a a horrific incident um, and put themselves in harm's way to protect the innocent. That's what police do. The Australian legal system was not finished seeking justice for Corbus, Aniki and Luke though, and charges were laid against Donato's father Giuseppe. The judge in the case had said that he felt it's extremely disturbing that a person with Donato's mental health diagnosis had been allowed to have access to several firearms. Giuseppe Corbo was charged with three counts of manslaughter and failing to safeguard firearms from a person with a propensity for violence. Giuseppe's defense team argued that he had followed Australian gun laws by ensuring that his guns were stored separately from the ammunition and both cabinets were locked. They further argued that he couldn't have reasonably known that his son was capable of committing an offence with the firearms. He was found not guilty of the manslaughter charges and found guilty on just one of the firearms charges relating to a single bullet that had been found in his bedside drawer. He was issued with a $620 fine, but it wouldn't be on his criminal record and he was allowed to keep his firearms. Giuseppe stated in court that he had not given his son the keys to his gun cabinets, and that they were in fact hidden, but he must have known where they were kept. He would go on to sue South Australian police for legal costs, as he felt the charges against him were a witch hunt to satisfy the justice that couldn't be achieved with his son. Mental health management is a huge challenge in any country, and unfortunately, it is all too common for innocent victims to lose their lives when severe mental illness is not properly managed. We don't know if Donato Corbo had a history of violence, nor do we know what support he was getting for his mental health challenges. It would be easy to blame his parents for having firearms in the house with their son, but I have no doubt that if they thought for a second that their son was capable of committing murder, they would have taken steps to ensure he did not have access to the firearms, for their own safety if nothing else. Donato Corbo will never be released back into society, but his actions will continue to haunt the quiet South Australian suburb of Hectorville for many years to come. The bravery of officers Travis Ems and Brian Gibbons cannot be understated, and I have no doubt that Travis still lives with the horror of what happened that night, to this very day. I think that what would come to be called the Hectable Siege was an enormous tragedy. It was one of those situations where everything aligned at just the wrong time, And if one thing had been different, three people might still be alive. As I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, I'm covering this case today to bring awareness to another tragedy, the ongoing and devastating bushfires in Australia. If you would like to donate towards Australian recovery efforts, there are several funds that have been set up in order to aid in different areas. I will post a link to the article which discusses the fires as well as the rescue funds in the show notes and I'll also post it to our various social media accounts. If you are able to donate to the Rescue and Recovery Fund, I know that every Australian citizen will appreciate your contribution. Thank you for listening to our Spotlight Minisode. If you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the show on the app that you're using to listen right now. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'll be back next Friday with another full episode. Until then, thank you for your support, and I'll chat to you soon.